This episode is brought to you by Circle, the issuer of USDC, which hopefully, as you all know, is the preferred stablecoin of digital natives and crypto natives with over 1.5 million holders globally. You'll hear more about USDC later in the show. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. You got Santiago and I are uh, co-hosting this one. We've got Yuri and Eli from Starkware, two co-founders of Starkware. Welcome to Empire, Yuri and Eli. Thank you, Yano. Thanks, Santiago. Thanks for having me. Hi, hi. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, happy that you're here. Awesome, guys. Well, I, I actually want to spend the first like five to ten minutes relatively high level on scaling and then actually get pretty into the weeds of this. This might be one of the more technical episodes that we've done in a while. Um, I think the first place I want to start is like there are two ways to scale a blockchain, right? The first way is you can make the blockchain itself have higher transaction capacity. Uh, there are obviously problems with that. The second is that you can actually change the way you use the blockchain, right? Instead of putting all the activity in the blockchain itself. I just want to get your guys' take on like why that layer two model is better. Um, so maybe we could start there. Basically, cloning a code base under you know uh, that has a certain you know architecture and scale will give you pretty much similar scale, or you know it, it maybe initially it won't be congested, um, and then you'll think that that uh, you have much greater scale, but then uh, the same limits of the technology will kick in. So, for instance, Polygon is essentially the same architecture as uh, that of Ethereum, but with uh, roughly 10x uh, uh, the rate of blocks. So you expect you'll get roughly 10x uh, the throughput and then you'll be blocked. By the way, even this 10x comes at a cost. It's not the same architecture, it's the same software stack and it's it's sixfold the block frequency. Okay. Otherwise it's yeah. identical. Yeah. To but but you'll right get, uh, so you, you, you know, you put in something, you know, you crank it up six, six or 10x, you'll get six or 10x. And uh, then it will get stuck. And, uh, you know, then you could say, oh, let's, uh, let's have, uh, you know, Schmoligon and that will be 7x and same thing. And you'll see it again and again. But this is not a very good way to get security. Uh, by the way, already here with Polygon, what you're, I mean, what users are paying with is that, uh, you know, the level of trust and decentralization gets lower. And of course, you repeat this, this, uh, uh, I mean, you'll get what you, what you, uh, what you expect you'll get. You'll just get the same phenomena again and again. So <clears throat> what um, StarkNet offers as an L2 and a very interesting L2, one based on validity proofs, is a very different technology. And it is one that uses the very same good old L1, which is Ethereum, um, but much more efficiently. It uses it as this very scarce and important and trusted resource that can assert integrity over a vastly greater amount of computation, even without processing that. So this is a surprisingly different and far more efficient way of utilizing blockchain. It's a very different technology, and it just happens to scale much better. And with it, you don't get 10x the throughput. You could easily get 1,000, 20,000, 50,000, and a million x the throughput. And as we'll describe later on, these are not just theoretical limits. This is the way our technology is operating today. You got, we're going to get into things that, Eli, I know you are excited to talk about, things like uh, computational integrity, delegated accountability, all of that kind of fun stuff. But we're going to have to dumb some of this down for my brain is not as big as your guys' brain to, ki to kick this off. So I want to... Uh, I, want to just... I, I asked not to talk about the size of the <laughs> I want. I want to verify, like, I want to make sure I understand that correctly. Uh, so it sounds like the main challenge with that technique, like the, the other L1 technique, is that blockchains with these bigger blocks 
are more difficult to verify. They're likely to become more centralized. The only solutions to that are really to like increase the efficiency of the client software or to use techniques that like like things like sharding, uh, which kind of allow the work to uh, of building and verifying the chain to be split up among amongst many nodes. That's the only solution on the other L1 side. And that's scalable, but not that scalable is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, the state of Polygon today is is a clone of Ethereum. So it's not yet as congested because it's not yet as popular. But if you have the same throughput or 6x the throughput, it will experience the same congestion and high prices of Ethereum. And this is something that has already happened when there were uh, spikes of congestion on, on uh, Polygon, for instance. So it's just uh, the same thing. And I would add to that that out of the gate, uh, far less uh, decentralized, right? Far fewer nodes can run at that capacity. So, so the, the trade-off is, is well understood. You can increase the uh, uh, capacity, the throughput that uh, individual nodes can process. By doing so, you're excluding uh, smaller participants from the network and you're uh, hurting decentralization. There's no, no, no new physics involved in, in that trade-off. And there's a limit to that. In the end, uh, there's a limit. Uh, you know, you could go to one computer, trusted computer, and that's known as, you know, Facebook, the Visa, Bank of America, uh, Citibank model. And it works very well, but it's just, you know, it's not blockchain. Yeah. Okay. So we're doing some process of elimination here. So we've eliminated the other L1s. Now we get into the L2 model, right? And so with the L2 model, there are two, I mean, again, there are two main models that I know of, right? We've got uh, optimistic rollups, and we've got the ZK rollups. So a lot of folks have heard about things like um, like Optimism and Arbitrum have been in the news recently. Optimism did their token thing. Arbitrum has some interesting stuff coming out. Or they launched this thing called Nitro, right? So you guys have chosen. So that they do they do what's called optimistic rollups. You guys do ZK rollups, is my understanding. So can you guys just get into that model and like optimistic rollups versus ZK rollups? What's the difference? Uli, do you want to take it? Sure. Um, optimistic rollups basically rely on crypto economics to uh, allow the network to scale. So instead of saying, let's compute all these transactions on the blockchain itself, you say, let's move these transactions and compute them off-chain. Um, and a given party can compute those transactions. And um, in the process of doing so, stakes a certain amount of tokens um, in order to uh, to sort of ensure that it, it computes with integrity. Other participants observe its uh, conduct, and if they can identify a fraud, and that's, that, that's, this is why it's called fraud proofs, they can uh, uh, submit, at least an Arbitrum, Arbitrum itself can submit uh, such fraud proofs with optimism. Uh, the fraud proof mechanism is actually not enabled just yet. Um, but uh, in, in theory, one could, uh, an observer of the network, could uh, submit a, a proof of a fraud. And then the entity that's computed uh, that computation that includes such a fraud gets uh, slashed. So that's the incentive for, uh, for those entities that help scale the network to conduct their work with uh, computational integrity. Okay. Note that in the process, anyone who wants to monitor, say Ellie is, is one of those entities, if I want to monitor his work, I need to have computational resources that are in fact on par with his, right? If he's computing a thousand transactions per second, if I, want, if I want to be able to check his work in a meaningful way and keep up with the pace he's going at, I need to employ the same amount of computational resources. Now, note that he's getting compensated by the network for every uh, sort of uh, 
honest piece of work that he's doing. I'm sitting there waiting for him to, to you know, to uh, uh, to slip, right, to stumble. And if he doesn't, uh, my AWS bills are, you know, st still keep uh, sort of coming in, and I'm 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 getting no income in the process. So there are significant challenges in the process. Uh, there's obviously the challenge there of allowing me enough time to check Ellie's work. Okay, and, and for that reason, optimistic robes have a. a a window uh, allowing to the detection of frauds that's somewhere between a week and two weeks. Okay, and so that's the window for finality. Uh, in the context of uh, fungible tokens, this could be actually uh, worked around, um, and and you you could sort of overcome this by by uh, uh, you know, essentially by by funding. Uh, having liquidity provisioning uh, fund this gap. In the context of NFTs or non-fungible tokens, there is not much you can do to work around that. And I think that for that reason, we haven't seen NFTs sort of uh, get significant adoption uh, uh, with optimistic crops. The approach we take is a fundamentally different one uh, with validity proofs, or as often called in the ecosystem, zero-knowledge proofs. Um, what you actually get is a system that can progress from state A to state B. Um, in, in our highbrow uh, world, we call it from a state A to state A prime. That's much more sophisticated than saying state B. Um, so um, those state transitions can only be performed if there is a proof that can be verified that attests to the validity of that transition. So it basically is a situation where the world before processing a batch of transactions is in a valid state and can only transition to a new state following the processing of that transaction of, uh, of that batch of transactions mm -hmm. if that batch uh, has a proof attesting to the integrity of the transactions in that batch, meaning every transaction has been uh, signed properly and, 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 and abides by some business logic that the network uh, is willing to accept. Ellie, you were... You were uh... I want, to, I want to just uh, give a very clear uh, example to, to the listeners of the difference between the capability of an optimistic rollup and a validity rollup, which is what StartMet is. Let's take a very simple example. Suppose, uh, you know, Yano, you and Uri are transferring, um, you know, one Ether back and forth a million times because you're playing some game. So you're bombing the mempool with just transactions that move back and forth a single ETH, okay, a million of them. Now, this should be processed and recorded on chain somehow by, by the L2. Okay, you're doing this on L2. So an optimistic rollup would need to put 1 million <clears> signatures <throat> in an Ethereum L1 block, which doesn't quite fit in and costs a lot. Starknet would need to put one start proof with no signatures on the chain and it will easily fit. So optimistic rollups, first of all, do not have that great scale. You can actually compute the limit of their scale. Whereas with Starknet, in many cases, it's very hard to even compute the theoretical upper bound on the scale. Okay. And this is not a mere theoretical thing that, you know, if you play this game, if you take something like the DYDX system, which in every block has a processing of many, many, many um, Oracle price sticks, each one of them comes with a signature. So in, in an optimistic rollup, you would need to upload 
all of those price ticks and signatures onto the L1 for security reasons. And in a validity rollup like ours, you don't need. So you get much bigger scale. And also the security premises, or you know, what are you basing security on is much, much better and much more future-proof and much well analyzed and understood in StarkNet um, than it is in uh, hmm. um, optimistic rollups. Can, can I just make sure I understand this again, um, which is that, so the, one of the differences here is that part of a transaction is only used for the verification and is not relevant to computing the state update, then that can be left off of the chain. Yes. But in an optimistic rollup, because that data would still need to be included on chain uh, in case it needs to be later checked in that fraud proof that Yuri was describing. Uh, but in a ZK yes. rollup, that doesn't need to get included on chain. Do I, do I get it? Precisely. Okay. You, you describe it much better. Yeah, that's a much better. Smack, smack. Smack, yeah, smack, smack on, you know, and, and just to sort of, uh, sort of expand a bit on the example Ellie gave in the context of, of Oracle service providers, okay, for both L1s and for uh, optimistic rollups, the Oracle services, whatever they are, Chainstack and others, uh, they, their consumption of on-chain resources scales with the frequency of reporting, right? If I report the price every hour, every 30 minutes, you know, in the latter case, I consume twice the uh, blockchain resources. It scales linearly with the number of assets reported, meaning if I, I report on Ethereum the price of Bitcoin and Schmidtcoin, et cetera, each new asset, I consume uh, the same amount of additional resources. Uh, but it also uh, scales with the security of the system, namely with the number of entities reporting that price, right? Meaning if it's only Yano who's uh, reporting the price, and we hack into Yano's uh, uh, computer, we can manipulate this price. If it's Yano and Santiago, we're in, in, in somewhat better shape. If it's 2,000 different entities, we're in even better shape, right? Because it's very difficult to tamper with. But all those 2,000 entities need to report their, uh, uh, provide their reports on-chain with monolithic chains and with optimistic rollups in order for the uh, general public to be able to say, hold on a second, for this past period, the median price of Bitcoin was whatever it is. With a validity rollups, we can in fact prove to you, okay, that we've computed off-chain the median price uh, reported over the past period, and that all these reporters appear on a white list of reputable reporters and blah, 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 and that the uh, median is X. And all we need to put on the blockchain is that X, not the 10,000 or 2,000 or whatever. So in this context, we decouple the security of the system from the resources it consumes on-chain. And that's a mm -hmm. very big deal. Okay. So, okay. So I, I think, I, I think I get it now. Um, so I, obviously your eyes' argument is that ZK rollups are much better. I think I get the, I, I get the argument. I'm pretty sure. Um, however, like when you look at what's happened in crypto so far, you look at the two main scaling solution, like the, when I'm just looking at TVL, like I'm not making any like judgments on who's better. I'm just looking at TVL. You've got Arbitrum's got like two and a half billion optimism, maybe like one and a half billion. Then, then you take like a pretty big leap down. You've got DYDX is next, which DYDX is obviously built using StarkX. Uh, and then there's like a, and then it continues to drop off pretty significantly. So I'm assuming the answer to why that sure, is, is because sure. it's just a much harder tech challenge building what you guys are building and it takes longer. But I'm curious to hear why, like why uh, these optimistic rollups have taken so much of a lead in the in the L2 space. I think it's a very temporary and skewed picture. I'll, I'll explain why. First of all, you know, even in the StarKex system, so many of our most successful um, customers are in the area of NFTs, 
which means, I mean, so rare, immutable, uh, Miria now joined, um, and they have minted uh, collectively millions of NFTs, actually tens of millions of NFTs. But if you look to, uh, you, you, you know, if you try to quantify those uh, using dollars, then then it doesn't show up as much or anything. But these are very, very meaningful and significant metrics that are not matched by any other system. I don't know how many, um, you know, NFTs are locked up in, uh, uh, you know, the combination of Ethereum L1, um, Optimism and Arbitrum, but I'd be very surprised if accumulated, it's more than 1 million over these three, the L1 and these two L2s, whereas we have uh, close to or maybe surpassed already 70 million NFTs, again, used in games like, you know, Sorare is a company that uh, was valued at uh, close to $5 billion, just announced an amazing deal uh, with the NBA. These are, you know, valuable things that are happening and they're all happening on StarkX, but, you know, they, they don't have USDC or Tether or ETH uh, tied behind them so you don't see it in the metrics. So that's one way in which, which is skewed. The other way in which it's, it's skewed is that um, for, um, you know, safety reasons and because we're in alpha, we are limiting uh, artificially the amount of Ether that can be locked and process through the uh, Starknet bridge, which means that, uh, you know, you won't see as much uh, uh, TVL right now uh, just because it's it's limited artificially as we're, um, you know, bringing the system uh, to be more and more performant. So, uh, yeah, but if you look at other metrics, just to mention a few, you know, um, uh, number of transactions, you know, um, number of NFTs, as we said, uh, total number of transactions, TPS, and all these metrics, we are more than 10x the other L2s combined. I, I want to add another dimension here, and that is that, say, with Optimism and, and Arbitrum, one can deploy uh, Solidity contracts essentially as is. And let's put the security discussion aside, but essentially can be deployed as is in terms of uh, the developer experience and the user experience. Now, our hypothesis, and, and time will tell if this is, is in fact the case, and it, with, with us, uh, uh, we're not there just yet. Warp is a transpiler from Solidity the Cairo that the Nethermind team has been developing. Uh, they have some big news coming up very soon, uh, but you know it's it's not as uh, as uh, the the UX is 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 not yet on par with uh, uh, Arbitrum and Optimism. But our hypothesis, let's say two years out, okay, ninety nine percent of the code that will run on Starknet will be code that was written in this two year period, okay. And in fact, we'll never have run on Ethereum L1. Okay, this will be native layer two code. All this to say that if you think that two years out, most of the code that will be run on layer two is code that was originally written for layer one, but then was deployed to layer two, that's one strategy. And then there's a certain set of tooling that needs to be built for that. If your hypothesis is that the layer twos will actually serve native layer two code a couple of years out, that's a very different ballgame. And we're preparing actually for the latter scenario. From, okay, that's interesting. So a lot a lot of the code, you're saying a lot of the projects that we use in, or products that we use in a year, two years, three years, will have code that is written today and the code that is getting written today or next year is gonna be written in native layer two code. And 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 I'll I'll say why we think this. This isn't sort of uh, uh, sort of us pontificating on on the meaning of life, right? That we we've seen this uh, uh, over and over again with uh, with the projects and customers we've uh, been working with, right? So so say DYDX, 
uh, had the, the the good sense when you know when they started building with us the system that they launched on on StarkX, not to come in and say and then we we've told this story you know over and over again. So so uh, I, I'm it's not to come in and say this is the logic we deployed on Ethereum layer one. Please you know deploy this implemented in Cairo, which is the the, the programming language that we've developed for StarkNet. Uh, uh, please develop, uh, deploy this as is on on StarkX or StarkNet. Uh, instead, they came in and said, "Hold on a second. Let's start with a you know a, a blank sheet of paper, right, from a clean slate, and say if we were to build a perpetual uh, contract trading platform, okay, what would we want it to do? Not what would we want it to do on Ethereum Layer One. What would we want? What would we want it to do? Period. And we started from that conversation." And what resulted was a system that's not not only far more scalable than the one that they had uh, running on Ethereum, it's a far better financial tool. It's a far better financial tool for traders, for users. And that in itself is just, a, that was a very telling experience for us, right? That those developers who come in and ask themselves, what is the right thing to build here, as opposed to what is the right thing that could run on layer one Ethereum, would end up with a superior product. Let me, let me, I think this is, I was going to ask you guys about Cairo. So I want, maybe this is a good time. Um, so like for, for context, you guys introduced Cairo two years ago. Uh, you just, uh, I think about a week ago, introduced, uh, announced Cairo 1.0. First major release for, for Cairo, uh, I think in like the last two years, it gives Cairo 1.0, gives developers, uh, I'm just reading from your blog now, a safer, simpler, more usable programming language. Um, I had a question about it, which is, all right, so you, so you mentioned Warp. Warp is this like solidity to Cairo transpiler. Um, it, are there limits? Does using the transpiler have limits versus writing directly in Cairo? Or may, maybe the better question here is like, uh, you, you mentioned that a lot of the code today is going to be written in like native L2 code. Um, what about the, but like we have to keep in mind that a lot of the big projects today are written in like not L2 code, like the Uniswaps and Aves and 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 the main like DeFi protocols. So like, would a Uniswap clone that is ported from ETH one transpiled via a warp via warp perform like how would that perform versus a Cairo native Uniswap implementation? Does that question make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, okay. Yeah, it it would work, and you could go down that route. Um, two things uh, should be pointed out first: um, you 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 can never use code as is that was designed for L1 as L2, even if you wanted to. So like, you know, you would need to change things because the the storage space is different and so on and so forth. So like, uh, you know, you're anyways going to need to change the code. And um, I guess my conjecture would be that uh, even though it, it, it will work, um, you'll get more efficient scaling and performance and even safer and more secure code if the main functionality of the smart contracts is written in uh, Cairo, especially in Cairo 1.0. So though you could do something, I'll give you an analogy. Uh, suppose there's some really good, uh, you know, functionality written right now in Python. So could it be transpiled into Solidity and uh, run there? I'm sure it can. I don't know if uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing to think about, like why isn't there any transpiler from, you know, Rust or Solidity, sorry, from Rust or Python or C, into solidity, right? It's certainly doable. Why is no one do doing it? And if you think about it, I think the same answer as to what, you know, whatever answer you give is the same answer as to why, uh, you know, I think that uh, native Cairo will be the better way to go. 
But you could take a package written in Python and transpile it into Solidity. Yes, and it will work. But likely its uh, complexity in terms of gas cost is not going to be something you'll like. The exact same thing. If you take Uniswap and transpile it into um, a Cairo, yes, it will work. But likely its uh, consumption of L2 resources and also L1 resources when you run it that way will not be as favorable as if you, uh, as, as the case of rewriting. Hmm. Um, and I just wanted to point out that on the StarkNet ecosystem, there's actually a, quite a large number of folks who are actually building and writing AMMs uh, in Cairo. So I think yeah. they're going to outperform and someone there is going to be, you know, the, the, the new year. So, yeah, but though maybe the argument then becomes like, well, it's not going to be an AMM model. It's actually like central limit order books will come to dominate trading. Uh, because Even of better. the speed and and the low fees of Starkware, yeah, Even it better. may well be. There's it a reason there are no AMMs, you know, on yeah, on, yeah. on, on conventional yeah. markets. It's not because they, no one thought about something like an, an AMM. It is less capital efficient. It works on Ethereum only because of the decentralization and the gas cost limits. But if you have more favorable computation, yes, you're right. It's going to go away. Yeah. It's good. Ellie's Ellie is walking into a religious war. But I I, I want to I want <laughs> AMMs versus. But but I, I want to say. Uh, I'm not going to rescue him, but I, I want to say this though: that that one way to think about this is, or this is the metaphor I have in mind, is that the folks building on Ethereum and, and the Uniswap, the very talented engineers at Uniswap, would be one uh, demonstration of that ability. Uh, they have uh, the demonst- the skill is to to build sophisticated logic, as sophisticated sophisticated as they can, that abides by the 15 million or at this point 30 million gas per block. That's the exercise, meaning there's a ceiling. It's about a foot high, and the question is, can you, within, in, that, in that room with a ceiling that's a foot high, can you do somersaults, and you, can you do all sorts of acrobatics? And if you can, you're a wizard, and you really are a wizard, right? But now we're defining a very different environment, right? We're saying, come out into this green field and do whatever you want. Now, you can go out there and keep demonstrating to everyone that you can do somersaults abiding by this no longer existent uh, one-foot high ceiling, Okay. But it's that's sort of quaint at this point, right? This in in three years' time, this is like saying I I can fix typewriters. That's wonderful, but there are no more typewriters. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that. Do you guys think, all, all, yeah. all, all this to say that that as as we see it, the layer ones will be dominated in terms of of willingness to pay. Okay, by the verification of proofs. That's what what we see. layer ones will become the security layer. So a proof. A star proof that that's sent to the network to be verified, in terms yeah. of of the number of transactions that it represents, it already represents hundreds of thousands. It will represent millions or tens of millions of transactions. So the the entity submitting that proof, the prover, you know, submitting that proof to uh, Ethereum, it is willing to pay far more than any individual player yeah. submitting a single transaction. So we think that the the the, the individual individual transactions will be crowded out by mm-hmm. market forces from layer one. So. I think Santiago and I are always trying to figure out like the second order implications of some of this stuff. So like what I'm maybe thinking about right now is uh, right now Uniswap competes in this very like computationally constrained environment, but maybe in a world of like L2, like in an L2 dominated world, someone like Uniswap doesn't compete in a like less computationally constrained environment. I, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm willing yeah, yeah. to bet that's what's going to happen. Yes. I, I'll add my ice cream to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so who does compete? Some like a, someone who comes in and builds for an L, 
builds directly in an L2 world. Someone, someone we haven't seen before. Limit order. I, I expect you'll see things that are more like the um, conventional model of, uh, right? If you go central to... Central limit order book. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, those yeah. are the things that work in the conventional world. It's not like uh, people cannot think about the, uh, you know, economic theory be behind something like uh, an autumn, uh, an AMM. It's just less efficient from... You know, slippage, capital efficiency, things like that. Uh, so, so I think, yeah, though there will be AMM, I would put my bet on central limit order books. And as we recall, it's not that Hayden started his career as a managing director at Goldman, right? Uh, he he came up with with this very exciting idea and and built this powerhouse. Well, I think he uh, sort of showing up, popping out of left field, right? Yeah, I think he borrowed it from a, a post from Vitalik initially. No, there was also the Banker Protocol and, and a few others in Curve. And yeah. yeah. But all, all this to say that he didn't grow up in sort of the, the, the walled garden of, of, uh, of Wall Street. And, it's a, he, yeah. and that's the beautiful thing about blockchain. Right? If you're a protocol, like if you're one of the, uh, I'd call it like the blue chip DeFi protocols, like a Uniswap or Aave, like you kind of know the like the old school DeFi, the tier ones. What would you be doing right now? How do you prepare for this like L two dominated world? Oh, I can. I, we 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 can we can tell you what they are doing, right? Or at least some of them. Ave is building Unis. Uh, uh, Ave, uh, not Unis. Well, Ave is building Ave version three on Starknet. Okay, there is a joint effort uh, between the Ave DAO and Starkware and the uh, uh, Nethermind team. Uh, uh, put on this, like, you know, like a, a, a little sort of a commando force that's building this out uh, frantically. Uh, Maker, same goes, right? There's there's a joint effort with the Maker DAO building stuff for uh, for Starknet. Now I can tell you that in both cases, they're sort of following the DYDX playbook, which is to say they are not simply coming in and saying, "Let us transpile line for line." the logic we had on Ethereum layer one to Starknet. No, they're starting from a, a clean slate and saying, okay, this is a very different computational environment. What do we want to build here? And, you know, we're going to, I think, soon see some very exciting results in this regard. All right, everyone, time for a quick word from Circle and USDC. As a crypto user, you know the power of stable coins, dollar digital currencies that transcend borders, banking hours, and legacy financial rails. Well, Circle's USDC has quickly become one of the most trusted and widely used stable coins. It's simple. People use USDC because of its composability, its stability, and its reserve transparency. And USDC isn't just adopted by a few of us DeFi DGENs and DAOs and NFT marketplaces, crypto companies alike, they all leverage USDC to diversify their treasury, asset management, and ecosystem-wide composability. The adoption's clear. USDC's grown to more than $50 billion in circulation since launching in 2018. We all have and we all will continue to take shots on our favorite volatile crypto assets, obviously, but USDC is one of the easiest ways to store your funds in a stable asset that can be used to send value around the world almost instantly. It lowers the cost of cross-border payments. It integrates into the growing ecosystem of crypto apps. As a seamless, trusted dollar digital currency, USDC is a zero to one opportunity 
for the financial system. If you want to learn more about USDC, I would recommend you check out the recently published Transparency Hub on Circle.com. It's a great update to Circle's content on USDC. It outlines everything from links to their weekly reserve reports, monthly attestations, blog posts that are written by their exec team that highlight how and why USDC was built the way it is. Really recommend it. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to access it. Now, let's get back to the show. You guys have brought up DYDX twice. I just, I mean, I just have to bring it up. Like we just had an episode with the Cosmos guys uh, that just came out. And so, I mean, the other kind of the other side of the coin, like what what happened with DYDX? Because they built, you know, half a billion dollars worth of value on StarkX, I think it was. And now they're moving to Cosmos. Um, What's like, can you guys just give your side of the story there? It's very simple. Uh, first of all, we 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 think uh, of them very highly, and uh, I think it's really great the teams are um, exploring and innovating. Um, we think that the way to scale is not by going to a monolithic chain, um, but we you know respect the decision of our customers to experiment with that, and we of course wish the, wish them the utmost luck. Um, since uh, you know, this whole system is uh, so great. There, there will be others that are going to use this technology, um, if not DYDX. And, and I mean, we'll see experimentation on both sides, right? On, you know, a secluded uh, Cosmos chain and on multiple instances on, on StarkNet and StarkX. And, uh, you know, the markets are going to decide where, where they think uh, it makes more sense. Yeah. I want to add to that that, that a, a whole bunch of teams a whole, I just wanted to add to that that a whole bunch of teams uh, saw sort of DYDX going from about twenty million dollars a day in trading volume to uh, essentially a couple of orders of magnitude greater uh, trading volume on the Stark in, in Starkex instance that that they've been uh, using as a settlement layer um, and sort of are are sort of uh, building very very uh, rapidly. To, to try and, and compete in, in that space. So, so I think in that regard, I think we are going to see a lot of experimentation. There was some flack that DYDX got within the Ethereum ecosystem, you know, is how dare you guys desert the Ethereum universe and, and move on to Cosmos. We, 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 I, I got to say, as, as much as we are sort of very sort of strong supporters of Ethereum and its ecosystem and its community, we, 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 we take a very different approach. As Eddie said, we think that experimentation matters a whole lot and and uh sort of the the quasi-religious view that uh this software stack that's seven years old this is sort of the 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 uh really the the optimal software stack that humanity can produce in the context of blockchains we think is exceedingly naive that's why we're building layer twos now uh we're actually starting to also build layer threes uh but but in this regard we think that dydx going out there and experimenting in a very bold way is a very healthy thing for the ecosystem, and we'll we'll see how it develops. I, I I'm I completely agree, Yuri. I think it's I think it's almost comical the religious fervor that gets baked around a software stack, yeah. right? You would never yeah. if a yeah, if yeah. a SaaS company left left Salesforce and they and they moved their CRM to HubSpot, yeah. you'd never be like, "This is blasphemy!" Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How, how Pitch, dare you? Pitchforks so, and, and, um, and and all that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me ask one more question about uh, DYDX, which is I think one of the main reasons that they moved was to like. Uh, what what I read was like it was to maximize decentralization, and I think that was in reference actually to the sequencer. I'm just curious, like, what are the plans to decentralize the sequencer? Like, would this be done via an auction? I'm curious how what, what 
the approaches there. We're, we're now thinking about it in the context of uh, um, Starknet, and it will be, you know, uh, you know, everything we do, we we do very seriously, and we lead the pack. So I think we'll, ex- you know, you can expect that it will be a very well thought, well designed, and something that you know doesn't break and makes a lot of sense. Just like all of our systems. I mean, you know, some of the listeners may, may not be aware of this, but. We've been running Stark proofs, which are acknowledges very cutting edge, uh, you know, math and, and cryptography, even among validity proofs. Uh, these comes from the farther corners of that universe, things that everyone discredited and thought that just could never fly. And we've put them into production with, you know, Turing complete language on fully functional systems that have been through multiple uh, shocks. To the um, to the ecosystem, you know, price surges and drops and everything, and all of our systems have been functioning seamlessly. Uh, we 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 have this, you know, and when we say we're, we're going to do something, we usually deliver either on time or before. And you can be damn sure that this will be, uh, you know, our performance also henceforth. So there will be very meaningful decentralization, and um, you know. If systems um, want to have StarkX instances that need to be decentralized, those can be done as well. There will be decentralization to the um, to the need of you know markets and customers and everything. Yeah. So it's not really a technical um, impediment. I, I want to add that in this context, the sequencer is of course UIDX, right? That's the entity receiving transactions from users and sequencing, determining, you know, what goes into a batch and the sequence of transactions in the batch. And Starkware functions as the prover. And those two functions, sequencer and prover, are going to uh, exist in a fully decentralized fashion. Anyone Mm -hmm. who wishes to serve in those roles would be able to do that in StarkNet and in the not too distant future. What about, um, I will admit I'm wading into territory I don't fully understand here, but um, as of now, there's no MEV on Starkware because of the sequencer. Again, wading into territory, I don't fully understand. But my understanding is there's no MEV on Starkware because of the sequencer. How does that change once that's more decentralized? MEV is a, MEV is a challenge. Uh, it's going to be an ongoing challenge in every decentralized system. So certainly once uh, uh, the sequencers of Starkware are decentralized, yes, it will. And there is, you know, volume there and value. Then, yes, MEV is going to be an issue that we'll need to contend with. Uh, are very practical approaches that, you know, we have so many burning problems to deal with um, that were, uh, you know, this isn't our first priority, but, uh, you know, many of the, um, many of the proposals to deal or partially deal with MEV go through things that we're, uh, you know, either things we suggested or that we're very good at things like using, you know, VDFs, delay functions, commit reveal schemes, zero knowledge proofs. So a lot of those are things that we are, you know, very familiar with and have been leading uh, the pack on. So uh, when we get to it, uh, yeah. but but I don't want to give any false impressions. It's not, you know, in the next two uh, releases of the code, we're not claiming we're going to be dealing with MEV. Yeah. Cool. Um, what are the big priorities? I mean, you guys, raised, you guys have raised, what, 300 million to date, give or take, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. 270 or something but like what we're very, we're very stable financially uh, um and and we have a team at this point of uh say about 100 folks at stark where there are more or less 50 people building out the starknet ecosystem worldwide outside of starkware 
and many, many hundreds of Cairo developers that weren't around six months ago even. So, so I, I got to say this is, uh, for me, every time I sort of, <laughs> I mention this, it, it, uh, it, it, it's it's a uh, it's a very moving experience to watch this thing sort of evolve in front of our uh, in front of our very eyes. Uh, but but the 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 next big milestone is Car 1.0. Uh, I think this was mentioned earlier. Car 1.0 uh, is essentially Cairo uh, rebuilt for a decentralized world. So Cairo is the programming language that uh, we introduced to mainnet in the summer of 2020. But that was done in the context of StarkX of our SaaS offering. And that's sort of a closed system in the sense that there is a customer, say Immutable or Sorare, and there is a, a service provider, which is Starkware. And there are certain understandings in, that, in the context of that relationship in terms of, say, denial of service attacks and censorship and all that. Uh, you expect good behavior. In an open network, you can no longer expect such good behavior. Um, and there could be denial of service, and there could be censorship uh, enacted. So this, these are sort of two sides of the same coin, right? That the denial of service is, is malicious behavior by uh, people sending transactions, and censorship is malicious behavior by by the sequencer or or yeah. um, And so to protect against these two things, and and in addition to that, to make Cairo an even increasingly so Cairo started as a low level language, and over time became increasingly higher level. So Cairo 1.0 is is the language rebuilt for a decentralized network and made even more high, higher level than, than it's been nice. to date. Nice. Um, so that's the next big uh, objective. Nice. What about, um, let me ask about a couple other objectives. I was just curious about, I don't know if these are high priorities or low priorities, but are you guys working on any other ecosystems outside of Ethereum? No, but we have a very warm spot for Bitcoin and we're supportive of uh, their research efforts. Um, if bit if we, uh, saw or see a way to support uh, putting Starks on Bitcoin, that would be, uh, you know, uh, something we'd, we'd really um, try to help just because, you know, Bitcoin is uh, the mother of all uh, cryptocurrencies, the first. And it, uh, we are, um, you know, on, on my Twitter handle, I say I'm Stark Maxi. So I'm, that's, that's what I'm Maxi about. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I really believe in our technology and its ability to help scale all blockchains and then go beyond blockchains into the conventional, you know, web two or web one or whatever, web zero world. So I'm very, very um, optimistic about that. And uh, if you're optimistic about this particular technology and its ability to scale blockchains, you must be sort of supportive of all meaningful blockchains um, as they're going to adopt it. So uh, I'm curious, um, how would you rate kind of Cairo relative to other languages? Um, and I mean, we talk about you it evolving significantly over the years. Um, there's a lot of developers, it sounds like, that are now onboarding recently into Cairo. But um, I've heard anecdotally that it's still fairly complex and difficult to understand relative to other languages. So I'm curious to get your perspective on that and how uh, you can improve that. Okay. Um, if what you're about is ease of expression of whatever, because you want to write some app that I don't know what draws pictures on your computer you know, you want something else. But if you want um, global scale for your application on a blockchain, it is not just the best, it is the only um, only path forward. And I think this is what um, identifies more than anything the community of developers. 
They are there because they see the potential. They see that this is a breakthrough technology made accessible in the fastest and most uh, sensible way. Uh, and they understand that being, you know, first steps, um, it's not going to be as well developed as other things. I mean, the analogy is, suppose you're now, you have your hands on the, whatever, the ENIAC machine and wherever it was, and I don't know where it was first, like one of those very first machines or something. So, well, if you want something really fun and, and, and cool to work with, that's not it. But if you understand that there's immense potential to be unleashed here, you're just going to jump up and down and get there. Now, I do want to say that, again, and, and I'm saying this not as a developer, but just as someone who reads crypto Twitter, the amount of enthusiasm and, uh, you know, elatement that came after the Cairo 1.0 uh, description saying that is very much Rust-like and so on. I mean, there were multiple people saying, you know, this is going to be more pleasant than writing in Solidity. And, you know, it didn't come from us, but, but so there's that as well. I, I, I want to say that it's, it's, it's a very fast-moving uh, 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 target. Um, um, I'm, I'm still stuck on the elatement. I think, Ellie, in, in addition to innovations in cryptography... Can you say is, elated? Uh, I'm elated? The next... Is it The next version of, of Miriam works <laughs> in, in, in appendix. Uh, yeah, Google I'm just stuck on that. But I, I want to say this, that the... the, the, the um, the maturity of, of the language, Santiago, is a very fast-moving target and a strong function of, of time. So just an anecdote, back in April in Amsterdam, there was a hackathon with 170 people. And, um, and there was one team that I met there, and I met them a few weeks later at ETHCC. There was Starknet CC, which was just like a mind. That was like, like uh, that was, that was like, uh, Anyway, that was like a massive festival of developers around Starknet, and and uh, um, and one of the folks there that I met, I had seen him only you know, like six weeks earlier, and he said the development experience is just fundamentally different. And I said, "What do you mean fundamentally different from a year ago?" He said, "No, fundamentally different than it was at the hackathon six weeks ago." So you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, this team building said we're developing ERC eleven fifty five in Cairo, and I said, "Hold on, guys, I think there are actually a couple of implementations already in place." And, you know, and I send a message on the uh, sort of the course, uh, the core devs for Starknet on the Telegram channel, and within two minutes there are three independent implementations, including one from Open Zeppelin, but two independent mm -hmm. ones as well. So, so uh, yeah, I, I'm just saying it's it's moving very very fast. Right? I have to, you know, if your listeners are going to just take one thing out of it, let it be this: elation. <clears throat> Sorry, from the Oxford Dictionary. Great happiness and exhilaration. Elation. Elation. What did I say? Elatement. Really? That we can check. Yeah. The yeah. Elatia, no, it's the US version. I, it's yeah. the U. I'll, I'll find you elatement. It's the old Sonic uh, Celtic version. M Middle English. Exactly. 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 Elatement. All right. Spe all right. Speaking of definitions, I, I learned about a new word this week, which was uh, layer three scaling. I'm just starting to wrap my head around layer twos. And here, here we go with L3s. And then I started reading about them this week. And I, I was like, you guys are introducing the idea of L4s. So now this stuff's just going over my head too much. But can you guys get into, uh, can you guys get into L3s? Yeah, L3 is, is, this is like in Spinal Tap, you know, where he shows the recordings. It goes all the way to, uh, to 11. So, so this is L3. And Vitalik uh, published a post this week 
uh, sort of expanding on on the notion of L3s that we published uh, in December of last year. So we're, you know we're very proud of the fact that that we innovate not only in sort of in cryptography and in the realm of zero knowledge, but sort of in, in the broad sense in, in blockchain research. And L3 is one such example. And the basic idea is a very simple one. So instead of having these scaling solutions settle their proofs uh, by a verifier smart contract on Ethereum L1, do that uh, onto a verifier smart contract that's deployed on a layer two system, specifically on the public StarkNet. Okay. And by doing so, you essentially move that layer, whatever it is, a StarkX instance or a custom StarkNet, you move that one layer up. Now, what do you get for that? What you get is even better scaling, meaning even better gas per transaction. And we're at sort of pretty astonishingly low numbers to begin with, right? Immutable is minting hundreds of thousands of NFTs to rare as well for sub 10 gas per mint. That's 20,000 X cheaper than they, they were spending on Ethereum L1. Uh, but you get even better scaling. You get even better uh, control over your cost as an application that spends uh, Ethereum L1 gas to, to sort of to settle its uh, uh, transactions. And we think that most importantly, you get better control and you get control that you don't have in a public network, regardless of the question whether that network is Ethereum L1 or the public StarkNet. Applications, it turns out, enjoy living in a public uh, sphere because of composability, which is a hugely interesting capability. And I think we're only scratching the surface of what can do that can do. But there's a flip side to that point. And that is what is often referred to as noisy neighbors, right? So if I'm, I'm a game, and suddenly gas prices for me spike because there's some action on Uniswap, or inversely, if I'm Uniswap and someone's minting apes on the other side of the network and gas prices go nuts, um, you know, that's your, uh, that's your dog right there. How's my dog? Um, so, you know, or a very big hamster. So I, I want to say so. L3. He heard about L threes. He came running up, elated. So I uh, know I'm. I'm just elated that you can't hear Israeli drivers down in the street here honking like crazy at uh, rush hour. So, so, um, so uh, mm. the 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 thing that they get there uh, by not operating in, a, in on a public chain is they get control. They get control, better control over their gas prices. They get better control over their software, the software version or the data availability solution that they uh, introduce. So imagine something like. EIP-1559, okay, this is like the, the canonical example that I always give, right? Th this was a very subtle and, and, uh, and, and uh, thoughtful process that took a good while to introduce into Ethereum, and for good reason, right? This is public infrastructure. You want to make sure that you don't screw this up. Now, you had to balance the, the, the considerations and incentives of very different parties, etc. Now, let's imagine that Yano has his Yano app chain. And he knows for a fact that 1559 is a wonderful idea for him. Okay. He introduces this into his environment, into his chain, you know, just by, by building consensus within his own organization. Uh, he doesn't need to wait for the public chain to adopt this because he can do on his software stack as he wishes. That level of control is something that organizations care for, right? The, the, the blockchain space doesn't mean we're done with organizations as we know them today, with business interests as we know them today, et cetera, right? Profit still matter and control still matters. Um, and these app chains sometimes want a high wall around their garden. Sometimes they want no wall mm -hmm. around their garden, but they need that control. And so we think that's what layer three mm -hmm. will introduce. So, so, I mean, basically 
So you've got so the, so the L1, like Ethereum, is for security and decentralization. The L2, we'll use StarkNet in this example, is for like scale scaling basically and like maybe composability and like general purpose scaling. And then the L3 would be for uh, just more customization, like exactly. control and privacy and and and, and well, even more scale. More scale and okay. control. Exactly. Okay. More scale and control. You got it. Yeah, that's a hundred percent right. Uri, for the skeptic out there, how is this any different from Visa Network, which is oh. for all intents and purposes a big consortium? And oh, there, there's a huge difference, right? There's the huge difference is that everything here, you know, it, it turtles all the way down to Ethereum L1. Meaning, if you say this is the logic that's going to be implemented on these smart contracts in that custom StarkNet in Layer Three, they're uh, available for all to observe. This is the logic, okay? If that visa decides maliciously to take all of Santiago's money and move it over to Yano, it cannot unless Santiago signed all his assets over. Okay. Today with Visa, right? Uh, you know, they can say, well, you know, this happened. You can call the one eight hundred number or you know uh, take them to court. Uh, but the, the, they, uh, uh, you sort of assume that they act in good faith. Here, it's a very different equilibrium, right? Even if they're a hundred percent malicious. There's no harm they can do other than censor you, meaning other than decide that they don't want to serve you, and then you opt out and go elsewhere, right? You go and transact elsewhere. You try to bribe out some other there, there you uh, go. miner and, or validator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bribe in the good sense of the word, like just tip him. Um, yeah. Yeah, but again, I mean, the, the thing um, that we constantly hear, and I, I'm not a skeptic of this, but I do appreciate that some people look at this and say, wait a minute, like, why do we need all this stuff? Like you have hacks and you have other security kind of things that need to be figured out and other risks that are embedded into this equation. Um, the idea, though, back to the example of Visa is, I mean, they, they are sort of like, you know, they uphold a reputation in the business model that yeah, if true. they start doing things that, you know, it compromises their their integrity, then they're sort of yep. sabotage. It's sort of like a fair victory. And that's something that I think a lot of people in crypto and blockchain don't consider often, which is kick you out, block you, whatever. But at the end of the day, if they do that for a big subset of users, then they're compromising their business model. So, so I, you know, I, I, uh, I guess some of the folks on this call are old enough and bald enough to sort of recognize the subtleties of, uh, of the world as it is. And, and we're not of the camp that says, you know, sort of down with everything. This is a new universe, et cetera. The, the, the world as it is, exists today, A, has a whole bunch of uh, benefits and advantages to it. And B, just won't just sort of vanish into the haze. As I personally see it, this the, the, these, uh, set of, of call it trustless technologies, okay, uh, they shift the needle in a way, okay? And maybe in certain areas, they have no value, and and maybe in other areas they simply reduce the degree of of the 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 way in which the powers that be can abuse that power, and maybe they diminish the margins, the premium that whatever insurance companies charge us. Uh, uh, I think it's a little too early to say how this will affect the world, but I think it will overall be a, a very sort of positive force. I want to say that. Um... The, the, we live today in an age where the pendulum has, has swung too far to one side, meaning, um, you know, let's say 50, certainly 80, 100 years ago, most of commerce was peer-to-peer uh, and finances was very much peer-to-peer. And um, by now, nearly all of it is electronic and centralized. And that's not good for, you know, a variety of reasons. 
what blockchains are trying to do is move this, you know, swing the pendulum back a little bit. Now, even when it was peer-to-peer, it's not that there weren't banks and centralized institutions and they didn't, it was never fully, completely only peer-to-peer. But I think it was never, um, you know, as Mm -hmm. centralized as it is today in the electronic age. And if there are no blockchains, it would be frighteningly so with, with dire consequences all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the word you use there, the, uh, a shift in the equilibrium. Um, I'm curious in your discussions, conversations with uh, perhaps projects or teams that are thinking about morphing their business model. Have you talked to a lot of traditional enterprises, traditional companies that are interested in deploying Starkware, using it in some capacity? We talk a lot about crypto native projects uh, migrating to Starkware and deploying there like Maker and you know Aave. But I'm curious if you've had conversations and, and the extent by which those are really serious um, of traditional companies looking to leverage this technology in some way, shape or form. We've had a gazillion of those. Um, but first of all, if we look at the, you know, empirically speaking, uh, you know, if we look at our deployed systems or the things announced, you won't see too many. Uh, you'll see zero, you know, S&P 500 blue chips there. And um um, even if you look, you know, a broader uh, view at uh, all of blockchains, you know, combined, uh, are there things beyond the, the POC level? Uh, the answer is that right now, not so much, not yet. Um, maybe, you know, NFTs uh, are slightly... Yeah, little... no, but I, 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 I exclude and, uh, like the, 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 uh, the crypto Twitter announcements that, that I don't think that's sort of... Yeah, no, but I'm saying there are, you could say like in the NFT world, like you, you do see some blue chip things, whatever, NBA on Soraya or, or soccer. It's it's a blue chip thing and it's making Fair some enough. appearance, but, uh, and there are very deep reasons for that uh, in, that we can go into, but I think it's uh, related to the previous uh, thing. Certainly in the financial world, so much is trust-based and basically you're paying a very high premium premium for those, you know, big uh, marble, um, you know, stones at the doorway and um, the, the, the suits that, uh, you know, are a social way of saying, trust us. Um, and that's okay. It's, it's reasonable. But like uh, trying to disrupt that um, ecosystem with something that basically says, no, no, you don't need to trust, uh, uh, you know, big suits. Uh, there's something else. It's just not going to... It's not that easy. And I'm saying that now about all of crypto. Uh, maybe we covered this, but I want to go back to one idea. Obviously, now there's a lot of excitement around L2s. A lot of them are opt- optimistic rollups. You have Optimism and Arbitrum. Um, Arbitrum released Nitro that has some you know, performance upgrades, which are pretty interesting. And you're seeing some really decent activity. Is it fair to say that these, I mean, if you talk to these teams, I think they would probably tell you there is an upper limit. There is an upper bound to how much you can scale these. Uh, the Ethereum blockchain through an L2 via optimistic rollups. Um, but of course they would say, hey, well, this is sort of like the transition of like, in the, similar to how net, like cellular networks evolve from like 1G, 2G, 3G, 5G, LTE. Is that a good analogy to then assume that's how blockchains will evolve, which is like maybe optimistic rollups are like 3G. And then what you guys are doing is is LTE, but it comes at a time where, you know, gas fees in Ethereum L1 today are pretty low. There's some activity um, in L2s, but, you know, you could, I'm curious to, I guess the question really is, I'm curious to to get your appreciation for how um, 
the sort of this this ecosystem will evolve in these sequential waves of like capex and and throughput uh do you feel that you're building something that you know there are some critics out there that say there's not a lot of usage and activity there's not a lot of really interesting applications being built yet like why build lte when you don't even have like a really nice smartphone yet i think um our role and what we need to do is and i'm saying now this about you know as, as speaking as one of the l2s but but uh, i think it's the same i would say that it's really the same for our colleagues they're also our, our competitors but they are our colleagues and part of the same ecosystem at optimism and arbitrum and other places um each should work as hard and as fast as possible to offer its scaling solution and then you know markets in the world will decide and that's fine like uh, and we'll accept whatever judgment the world passes and then you know each team is going to need to update or decide what it wants to do next let me give you know you mentioned one example and, and i think at some point in the past the uh, various folks referred to it and said you know maybe optimistic rollups are something for the midterm and the long-term solution is going to be starknet and you know things like that and yeah that could be could be that like uh just like we see today there's a lot of uh um a lot of teams are now taking their solidity code and deploying it on on polygon uh so you know maybe after polygon they go and deploy it on on uh, optimism and arbitrum and and this works and then maybe at some point they in our case they're going to you know for better or worse they need to rewrite it to, to to make it more scalable they port it over to starknet that's certainly one option that sort of is the, in the in these phases uh, there's another uh possibility which is that that we outpace the other things and you know once uh, we have the performance and we do the regenesis you'll actually see us uh, eclipsing the others that's another thing a third one that that i hope for us doesn't happen is that you know we never uh lift off and like everything is everyone's happy with whatever it is polygon or uh or uh, optimism or yeah, yeah. we our role as you know leaders of one or coming from one l2 is to just make sure that this is the best technology and most ripe and usable by developers um and then we're gonna let the world uh, pass judgment on how it wants to use it this has been great guys um I think we should wrap it here. This seems like a good place to wrap. I have one closing question that I'm going to ask both you guys. And I want it's a, it's a prediction question. Um, Yuri, I'm going to start with you here. In five years, what percentage of crypto is built on? There's three buckets here. What percentage of crypto is built on L2s versus L1s, like the Solana and Avalanche, et cetera? L2s could be you guys or competitors. And then the third buck would be app chains, like folks who go over to Cosmos. Oh boy, um, I have no idea. I have no idea. I th I think that the world, as value accumulates in these applications, is going to come to appreciate, perhaps in painful ways, the value of of secure systems. And so, understanding that a Cosmos chain, like uh, say Luna, and, and put aside the, sh the 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 shenanigans and the criminal activity. Uh, but a network that's secured by the price of an asset that can suddenly tank is a very dangerous thing. So I think that that uh, uh, Ethereum dominance in this regard, I think, is going to increase over time uh, compared to the Cosmos chains. But there may be some innovation there where they demonstrate the ability to uh, bestow security from one of those app chains onto others. And I think there are uh, there are ideas and experimentation in that regard. And, and you know, I hope they further explore that. Um, but for now, I think it's going to be uh, an Ethereum-dominated world. 
And I think that layer threes are in fact going to be uh, that sweet spot where applications can balance their needs to customize with, uh, with their desire to scale in a, in a verifiable and transparent fashion. Eli, I'll throw the same question to you. I have no idea about uh, L1. Well, that's, that's why we I, mean, anything, I would guess that in five years, yeah, I think that in five years, people will be speaking in other terms. I don't know what they'll be because, but, but, I, but I, I will make a prediction. Um, I think that in five years, um, our core technology um, Starks, maybe by then even ZK Starks, uh, by then maybe we'll actually add privacy and the world is going to demand it. And, uh, you know, things like Cairo 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever is, you know, that language is going to be called like the whole tool chain that uses um, Starks for exponentially increasing, um, you know, scale and offering integrity. Um that I'm very uh, confident of. You, you'll see that ninety uh, percent of uh, the way, or you know, the, the amount of transactions that transpire on, on all major blockchains, and maybe even it's going to start percolating outside um, to these permissionless or decentralized ecosystems. Ninety percent of uh, the actual game is going to be um, proved by uh, Starks or zk Starks proofs. And probably coded in some Stark friendly language, which could be again Cairo 2 or 3.0, depending, uh, or some other mm -hmm. uh, dedicated language that is very, uh, that compiles into really good um, um, and efficient Stark proofs. Yeah. And you can, mm -hmm. you know, you can remind me in five years, I think that's where we'll be. Yeah. I guess maybe I'll throw one last question, um, which is. I think Starkware, like I think, like zero knowledge proofs have been in the conversation for such a long time. They're perhaps one of the more exciting um, elements of cryptography, at least is my appreciation. Um, what are some of the things that you you've been doing this for for a number of years? Um, what are some of the things that you thought would probably move faster? If you were to say, like, look back over the last five years, you would have thought, "Gosh, I thought that we would have developed X or Y much faster." And then conversely, what are the things that surprise you that have developed much faster than perhaps you would have initially thought. And I ask this because I think like sometimes we're really impatient. We get excited about the technology, but we're impatient or we sort of, it's that like, you know, we underestimate what can happen in 10 years and overestimate what can happen in two kind of like mantra that Bill Gates introduced. I'll, I'll give my answer. So uh, in May, 2013, um, you know, no one was mentioning scaling through proofs. Um, I'm proud to say, I mean, I was the first one to suggest it. And, the you know, I challenged the world to find a place where this was said earlier. And I said it at the Bitcoin conference in San Jose, and that's where I was red-pilled. And in that, you know, half-hour talk that is recorded, and, you know, I'm much younger there, um, I said, um, by the, the end of the summer, it. by the end of the summer, um, and this was 2013, um, May 2013, I said, by the end of the summer, will have basically the code for, it wasn't called um, uh, Starks back then, but what essentially became, you know, later on called Starks. I said, by the end of the summer. Um, and then it took uh, five years to release the relevant academic code and yay more years, this and that. So like the speed at which uh, code is built is I've been, you know, constantly over-optimistic on this, but where uh, I'm completely blown away 
is recently like with uh, the amount and speed of uh, adoption of uh, Starknet and Cairo and developers flocking to it. I, and I think others, I'm speaking for myself, I, I didn't accept, expect this much adoption rate so quickly, so soon. Awesome. Great, guys. Santi, anything else? No, unless, Uri, you have a response to that uh, or, or just uh, something in your mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not as optimistic as Ellie. So, so like the, the super macro view, when we were undergrads, that was a fair number of years ago, uh, zero knowledge proofs were with pride taught to us as something that is completely theoretical and could never, ever be computed. The fact that there is now a general purpose programming language that allows you to, to, to prove any computational statement that this is in production, that this has settled hundreds of billions of dollars over the past year on our software stack, that there are hundreds of people writing Cairo programs that we don't know and we never taught Cairo to, uh, <laughs> mind-blowing to me. So um, I'm happy as a clown. Elated. As, as developers? Elated. Yeah, I mean, yeah, elated, elated. <laughs> are, there, are, there, are there any other interesting maybe not even in crypto, like outside of Z zero knowledge proofs. So are there any really interesting, really interesting things, yeah. maybe not even happening in crypto? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm working on, on hummus popsicles and that's a technology that I've been perfecting for a good number of years. And, you know, you're, I thought we were going to invite you back on the podcast, but no more, my friend. That's it. Just trolling. That's it. You're trolling. You keep saying it's the last question. Then you keep asking more questions. <laughs> All right. We're wrapping it. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrapping it here, guys. guys congratulations yeah. on all the progress um, um yeah we really appreciate you coming on in here and and thank, thank you, you very much thank you gentlemen amazing thank you very uh, intelligent uh, interview and very uh, questions yeah 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 this was wonderful guys happy to chat anytime you want yeah we would love to have you on i think uh the pace by which you guys are shipping and, and developing seems to be much faster now Cairo and, and really excited to see where that goes, especially how easy it is now. It sounds like for a lot of developers. Yeah, sure. Well, what are you doing next week? Same time. <laughs> we'll have a, we'll have a, a ZK regular stand up. Uh, but, uh, okay. but yeah, no, thanks for coming on. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Awesome guys. We'll enjoy it. Thank you guys. <laughs> Bye.